Hey everyone, it's Caleb, and I'm so excited that you decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. And today I am honored to be joined by Juanita Rasmus. And we're continuing in our Enneagram series. And today we're talking with Juanita about being an Enneagram One. She has recently released this brand new devotional called 40 Days on Being One. And we're going to get into that conversation here in just a second. Uh, But a couple of things real quick. If you've missed any of our Enneagram uh, series that we've been doing, we've kind of been highlighting and going through um, each specific Enneagram time about one a month or so. And so if you've missed any, I would encourage you to go back. I think we've talked about threes, twos, um, sevens, uh, nines, and I think we got ones today. And then uh, we'll be covering uh, the rest of them over the next several months as well. But if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, I do want to let you know that really what we want to do here on uh, on the Learner's Corner podcast is create a safe place to have difficult conversations. Because if you're like me, you've probably realized throughout life that you can't just talk with anyone about anything or everything uh, because you're afraid of how they're going to respond, whether that be with judgment or um, or, a- or sometimes even in anger in that as well. And so really we want to do here is just create a safe place. Even if you don't feel like you have anyone in your your life that you feel like you can have these conversations with, maybe you can just listen to some of these episodes and maybe just know that you're not the only one Um, and that, uh, that other people think like you and that are open to literally talking about anything and everything. And that's really what we want to do here in the Learner's Corner podcast is um, is just create that type of place because we truly do believe that we can learn from anyone and everyone, everything and anything. And sometimes that is just learning um, some of the things not to do as well, whether that be um, how to handle certain subjects or, um, or learning from some of the mistakes and failures and mess ups from other people as well and learning um, how to respond better the next time in that also. So, before we get into uh, the interview, uh, oh, I, I did want to mention uh, really quick as well is that we do talk about uh, in my upcoming conversation with Juanita, we do briefly talk about abuse as well. And so just wanted to give you a heads up on uh, on that and so that you could be aware of that's going to be coming up in the conversation as well. Now, uh, one of the things that we talk about here in the conversation uh, is uh, how sometimes it could be really difficult. And I don't think this is just true for Enneagram type ones. I think this is true for a lot of different types as well. But um, one of the things that we talk about uh, is how it could be really difficult to have um, fun whenever uh, whenever it comes to certain types of the Enneagram and sometimes the Enneagram one being one of those as well. And so for this week's uh, Learner's Corner Recommended Resource of the Week, I wanted to recommend um, one of my favorite people uh, to learn from, and specifically a book that she's written and um, in a conversation that she had recently. And so uh, I want to recommend the That Sounds Fun book by Annie F. Downs. The subtitle is The Joys of Being an Amateur, The Power of Falling in Love, and Why You Need a Hobby. And uh, I'm also going to attach an interview that she did recently with Carrie Newhoff about her brand brand new book. And I think one of the things that has really stood out to me about, first of all, it's such an enjoy, like it's such an enjoyable read. And I absolutely loved reading this book. And I, and one of the connections just through listening uh through her talk about the book and through um and through reading the book as well is paying attention between uh 
the connection between our ability to have fun and our ability to rest well and how one impacts the other and how um, whenever we're doing one really well, one usually leads to the other. And whenever we tend to struggle with one, one <laughs> it leads to our ability or our, our, it leads uh, to our struggle with another. And then that's just something that I've just been trying to get better at as well as incorporating more fun into my life because like I, uh, there was a, there was a long period of time to where fun did not come naturally to me. And it's something that I've had to work at. And I feel like it comes a lot more naturally to myself. And it's amazing the benefit that I've seen, uh, it affect all other areas of my life whenever I've learned how to have fun more. And so I absolutely love uh, learning from Annie. She's one of my favorite people to learn from, and I'm going to link to all of that stuff in the show notes. Now, as I mentioned earlier today, I'm talking with Juanita, Juanita uh, Rasmus, and uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Juanita. Juanita is a speaker, writer, spiritual director, and con- uh contemplative. She is also the author of Learning to Be, and she co-pastors the St. John's United Methodist Church in downtown Houston with her husband, Rudy. And as I mentioned earlier, she is also the author of 40 Days on Being One, and today we're going to talk with her about Enneagram Ones and what we can learn from them as well. So here's my conversation with Juanita Rasmus. Well, Juanita, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today to talk about the Enneagram and specifically Enneagram once. Woo! <laughs> yeah, here we are. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, I've I've kind of been talking with everybody who has uh, been a part of the, the, the InterVarsity Press series about each of their types. And I just love kind of starting out with, when did you first find out about the Enneagram and kind of what was your journey through discovering that and like your own type? Oh, that's good. Thanks. That's a great question. Um, I think that the, the, the journey started around somewhere around 2001, 2002. I had experienced a major depressive episode, and I talk about that in my first book, Learning to Be. And in that process, I was trying to figure out, so who am I really? Um, I had done other personality profiles, Myers-Briggs, Florence Littire's Personality Plus, uh, all these uh, true colors, all these various other profiles with one agenda. Who am I, right? And when I got to the Enneagram, which I was exposed to it from two different sources, um, uh, the the cynical sisters, Catholic uh, sisters here in Houston did a a retreat around the Enneagram. And so I took the retreat and uh, just learned so much. And then went to the C.G. Jung Center here in Houston, um, did uh, a workshop one Saturday and just got even more insight. The beauty for me of the Enneagram, and then I'll talk a little bit about the yeah. one. Uh, the beauty for me is that the Enneagram helps us to see that as believers, Uh, that we are all called to share an aspect of the image of God 
That was profound for me to recognize that when the scripture says that we're created in the likeness of God, we really are, that we really have an aspect of God. When our shadow side does a jacket, right? (laughs) We have an aspect of God that we're here to portray to the world. I found out I was a one as we were taking one of the quizzes, you know, and they were asking all these different questions about, um, you know, things like, uh, how are you kind of under pressure, maybe? And I can't even remember all the questions they asked. How do you, um, uh, um, man, I am just blank on some of those questions, but I haven't taken the actual questionnaire in a while. But but the stuff they were saying, I was saying, that's me. You know, yeah. I, I, I value rules. I value um, what is what we would call righteousness, but I would prefer to say rightness, things being right, things being done well. Um, I'm the person, my, my kids used to always joke about the fact we'd be watching a movie, right? And I'm the only person who could see the boom mic hanging down. Nobody else sees it. And I'd say, go back, rewind it, rewind it. You'll see there's a boom mic. You know, uh, I would see that the character was sitting with their legs turned to the right and apparently they had spliced the movie and now the character has the legs turned to the left. I'm the only person who would see that. And so I, I came to understand that that wasn't a deficiency, that wasn't a flaw, that that was something that really I could value. I would have to understand how to, to uh, exercise that longing, if you will, for things to be right um, in a way that would be life-giving for me and for people around me, because otherwise it just looks like authoritarianism, you know, coming down on people who are breaking the rules and coming down on uh, people who are not, in your mind anyway, you know, striving for perfection and that kind of thing. Um, I recognize that so much of what the one really is about is it's really about saying that the world has the capacity to be a wonderful place and that God is present with us as this God who is able to help us live well. Not right as in perfectionism, but right as in good, pleasing, satisfying. Um, present, yeah. Can you just talk more about that? Because you know, one of one of the the descriptions that often gets labeled with type ones is the perfectionist. Absolutely. Which, honestly, like in our culture, perfectionism is something that has a negative label Absolutely. towards that. Can, can you talk about like? Just, just wrestling with that yourself. Sure. Oh my goodness, yes. You know, here's the thing. Um, perfectionists don't know when good is good enough. You know, and the challenge with that is that there's no area that goes without the scrutiny of the perfectionist wanting the marriage to be perfect, wanting your children to be perfect, wanting every hair in place and seeing anything as imperfection as having some reflection on us as though I'm not perfect. I'm not in order. I'm not right. And it becomes very condemning. 
it becomes very damning, not only damning to the people around us, but the first person that we damn is ourselves. The first person we condemn is ourselves. And so it's a very hard and harsh way of being in the world. And for me, um, I remember one of my cousins telling me, you were always so bossy and mean. And that sense of, of perfectionism can come off very bossy, very um, mean, especially in an immature person, right? Because I was a kid when, when all these things were happening. But um, when we don't check our narrative and, and, and get some understanding about uh, what does it really look like to be right with our neighbor, right with ourselves, right with God. What does it really look like to know that good is good enough? I remember one of the funniest things that happened. One of our my dear girlfriends and I, we were all having tea, and she was telling us about how her son um, had made, um, um, what did he make? I think an A plus on a paper, and he was crying about it. Why did I make an A plus? Now, for she and I were both perfectionists and we're celebrating the A plus, right? He said, I didn't mean to work that hard. And I was like, what? Oh my God. All right. And so for the people around us, they know the pain of the judgment of perfectionism. And it can cause them to be well aware that as my children sometimes say, mom, you're doing too much. That doing too much can be draining. What about doing enough? Enough, you know? Uh, it doesn't have to come with bling. Bells and whistles is way enough, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and learning how much energy that zaps from our life when we are striving, because that's one of the key words, is there's a lot of striving. There's a lot of push energy and I like it. And, and if, I, if you don't mind, I'm going to share something I just read yeah. out of Matthew, um, the message version in Matthew 11, um, yeah. beginning at verse 20. Uh, G, here um, we're, we're, we're hearing from Jesus about the unforced rhythms of grace. There's a lot of push energy, a lot of force in perfectionism. And we as perfectionists are forcing other people to live with our high standards and our high ideals. And here Jesus says, are you tired? And I will put it this way. Aren't you tired by now? You ought to be worn out, burned out from religion. Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. And then it concludes by saying, learn from me. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. A perfectionist doesn't know grace. A person who is living out of that perfectionism. Um, and, and, you know, I think for the longest, I did not value or really even understand grace because my perfectionism didn't make room for just enough and just enough being enough. Yeah. What was the turning point for you that helped you move more towards that mindset? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I had a major depressive episode 
And that shattered for me so much of what I had thought was me. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I thought I was supposed to be a perfectionist. My God, look at everybody else half doing it, slopping along through life, you know. <laughs> and then I came to realize, wait a minute. How many friends have I really made because I was a perfectionist? And then you compare how many enemies you made. Um, And so in that process of looking at my life, uh, doing the exam, and if you will, what was given me, what was taking life from me, I, I saw, and it really wasn't even so much that I saw the cost on me as I did the toll on my children and on my husband. Um, and realized that I didn't want to be that person. And the Enneagram helped to show me not only the me that I saw, but the me others saw when I wasn't at my best, right? Mm -hmm. And the me that I didn't want people to see, period. But it also made space for me to see the me that God was seeing, the me that God was inviting me to become. And that... Mm -hmm. That was that's that has been priceless because it's an ongoing process. You know, you you come to uh, know some things intellectually, but then you come to be awakened to them in your heart. And how do you transcend the old ways of being you, the rule following? Do you know that every rule pretty much that's made is made to be broken and that what Jesus invites us into is not the living of the 700 rules that the Jews were living under, right? And the Israelites, right? But rather what it means to live into relationship so that rules don't become the primary thing. The relationship sets the tone. So you don't want to kill anybody because you're valuing the relationship. You don't want to um, covet what somebody else has because you value the relationship. And you know, even in the relationship, that there is so much generosity of spirit and grace. And heck, if I really like my neighbor's uh, Mercedes, maybe if I just ask, she'll take me for a ride in it. I don't have to pay the car note or the insurance. I can just have the benefit of seeing it parked in front of her house. And I get to say, yeah, that's a beautiful car. But if we don't question the ways we've been thinking and our motives and what's been pushing us and what's been driving us, um, we'll continue to live those very tight, wound up lives with a lot of push energy, a lot of force energy, a lot of striving. And we don't come to know the unforced rhythms of grace that Jesus offers. Can you talk more about the breaking the rules that you said? Because that's a very just as you were even mentioning, a very counterintuitive thing, especially for type ones. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so here's one of the things I came to realize. Um, I had gotten this fortune cookie, and in it it says, um, rules without relationship equal rebellion. And you see what happened is the perfectionist will value the rules over the relationships which is exactly what the Sadducees and the Pharisees were doing in Jesus's time. What do you mean you let them eat grain on a Sunday? And Jesus said, hey, these are my people and I love them and they were hungry. Now that makes so much sense, doesn't it? But if we look at right now, um, how many people aren't wearing masks? And yet 
when we wear masks, which is, quote, kind of a rule, right? Yeah. We wear masks because we love the relationships we have. And see, I don't know how susceptible you are to COVID-19. You might not even know. But I wear my mask because I value the relationship, right? Now, somebody yeah. might say, but, but wait a minute. I, it's my right to choose. Well, absolutely. What if you choose relationship mm-hmm. over your right to not wear a mask? So it really all boils down to the fact that, yeah, some rules are meant to be broken. And if I use COVID-19 as an example, our governor in Texas has said, no more mask wearing, no more mandatory mask. Okay, well, but there are still black and brown people in this in the state of Texas who haven't even gotten vaccines yet. Less than 6% of the population of African-Americans and Browns, Latinos, and Latinx have gotten access to the vacuum. I mean, to the vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm wearing my mask to celebrate and, and the life that of, of the people I love and that I might come in contact with who haven't had access. The rule says I don't have to, but I'm choosing to break the rule. So what it boils down to is allowing love to lead us. Some rules are just flat out insane. And you wonder who came up with this idea, right? But we have to ask ourselves, okay, so what was the rule seeking to accomplish? Does that make any sense? If it doesn't make any sense, if it doesn't honor core values of morality, values of loving the neighbor, then those rules might need to be suspect for being broken. Yeah, which is something that Jesus did all of the time. All the time. (laughs) He had the one, I know the Pharisees, most of them had to be ones. They were upside down. How dare this man come and turn our legalistic rule-following system on its head by healing people. And, and having meals with tax collectors, how dare he break our cultural and societal rules? The rules we were using to help keep us in the boundary so we wouldn't break God's rules, right? And so what happens is you create a rule, and, 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 and in my worst case scenario as a one, when I was a child and I accepted Christ, I was given the Ten Commandments and then I made 20 to make sure I stayed inside of the team. And that's how a one would would operate and function. But you want a one on your board because they're going to be going for integrity. You want a one in places where morality might be questioned. You want a one in places where um, there is the need for a voice for equity and a voice for rightness, okay? Um, But even Mm -hmm. so, we have to... Uh, give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to show us how to discern relationship over rules. And sometimes that's not always easy, but I think that's part of our our journey of of being green, growing human being, comings, right? Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's two things just as we've been talking that I've thought about when uh, two different questions and I think they might tie together is the first one being you know you mentioned doing too much 
of how do you know that you are doing too much? And the second thing that I would love, which might be tied uh, to that, is how can you tell the difference between like something that's good versus, or whether or not you're pursuing something that's good versus pursuing something that's perfect? Oh, man. Hmm. Okay, so here's a, pro- uh, uh, let me take the last one first, yeah. okay? Yep. The, the good over the perfection. Um, the goal has to be different. We start there. And the goal becomes progress over perfection. Okay. Am I progressing? Do I see that I'm growing in some places? Um, Am I treating my work as a opportunity to serve or an opportunity to dictate and mandate? Um, It it becomes a real, again, invitation to how am I allowing this this, um, task that might be before me? How am I uh, allowing uh, myself to see progress in the grace that I'm executing this in versus um, perfectionism that's inviting um, perhaps um, uh, conflict with the people on my team because uh, I keep uh, setting these standards that seem impossible to to reach, right? Um, So I, I think my new phrase is progress over perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that progress is what are we working towards? What are we moving towards? What kind of environment are we trying to create as we create our widgets or whatever it is we're doing, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Now, that first question, say that to me again. Do you remember it? Yeah. Okay. Yep. You mentioned about doing too much. How can you tell if you're doing too much? Because like, I don't think that's just a one thing. I think that's a lot of different types of things. Oh, it is. It's a people thing, okay? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that, that I recognize for myself is, and there are really a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find yourself hungry? I'm going to give you an acronym. Yeah. HALT. H-A-L-T. Too hungry, too angry, too lonely, mm-hmm. too tired. Okay, and when I say hunger, I'm not just talking about for a meal, but it can include physical hunger. When I find myself going so much that I'm not taking care of nourishing my body on a regular basis. Right. And and I'm letting myself get too hungry. So I'll just eat anything. Right. That's one way that that says to me, I'm doing too much. Secondly, am I too uh, the, the other part of the hunger, again, is not just physical, but there's also um, a mental, emotional hunger, and that's called longing. Do I find myself longing for another way of being? Longing for another experience of what I'm engaged in? Then the A is angry, too angry. Do I find myself getting angry, uh, short-tempered, impatient? Those things suggest that something is out of out of harmony. Something is out of whack. It's out of balance. Okay, am I too lonely? Um, not finding myself having space to. I know with quarantine, we we many of us are feeling measures of loneliness. But even in that, I realized I had to decide. You know, again, let me give you a perfect example yeah. of a one. Quarantine hits. I'm saying I'm in my house. I'm not going anywhere now. In my mind, quarantine, man, I didn't even go outside in my front yard and my backyard. That didn't make any sense, really. Okay. So I had to say, okay, wait a minute. I'm operating in that 
perfectionist, rigid rule following. They're asking me to isolate and quarantine. They're not saying I can't go outside. All right. And so you have to you have to really stop and and analyze how you're interpreting the rules. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That doing thing hungry. Don't get too hungry, too angry, too lonely. Lonely. I realized I was lonely. And so I had to create some stuff. And so one of the things I did was um, did a drive by and visited some friends and talked at a distance. Right. And we can do that. We can do that. We have cell phones. So you can drive by, be at a good distance and talk on your phone and laugh and see each other and be present in a way that's not on using uh, the Zoom or other kinds of uh, technical ways of seeing. So we're having or we're being invited to be creative on that lonely piece and then tired, exhaustion, not getting enough sleep. I'm doing too much. When I find myself not being able to unwind from a long day, probably doing too much. All right. And so all of those ways are too hungry, too angry, too lonely, too tired. Noticing what I'm noticing. When I'm noticing that I'm snappy with people, that I'm short. When I notice that uh, I, I, I wake up exhausted and I go to bed exhausted. So halt as you're noticing what you're noticing. Mm-hmm. Paying attention and then making the necessary adjustments so that you can know joy. And that's joy. That's another word I was going to say. When you're not experiencing joy, when was the last time you felt happy? When was the last time you felt a, a degree of pleasure? Um, just sitting at my desk right now, looking out the window and seeing the sun after so many rainy, cold days, I'm going, yes, I can't wait to get outside, you know? And that sense of life raising up in you, that, that, that space has to be cultivated. And if we're always doing, we're not cultivating space for being. One of the things that uh, that you've mentioned a few times in this is the importance of paying attention to the narrative that you're listening to. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about that is how can you tell that, hey, I have created rules that has created a false narrative for me. So I think you have to take a look at at four key areas of your life. Okay. And those four key areas are your relationships, your time and money, your vocation or vocari, the way you're called to serve in the world, and then your health and well-being. Are those four areas reflective of the person that you really want to be? Mm-hmm. And if they're not, then you have to make some adjustments. And only you can make those adjustments because only you know what kind of person you really want to become. I think yeah. the beauty of the Enneagram is that it helped point me to a person I want to become. That uh, some of the, the experiences of my wean offer me joy offer me creativity. And that's another thing. I found out that I had blocked out uh, certain kinds of things happening in my life, like creativity. Why? Because creativity can be messy. Creativity can mean coloring outside the lines, right? 
playing, even playing, because what if they're not playing by the rules, right? And so you begin to allow yourself to experiment in the areas that you had blocked yourself off from. And then you you go in with the notion, and this is something physical that I do to help remind me, that I'm Mm -hmm. open and willing to receive and to give love. Mm -hmm. I'm open and willing to receive and to give love because all of the Enneagram is inviting us to know the love of God, to show the love of God, to experience the love of God. And that love is freeing. It Mm -hmm. frees us from our, our shadow side, as Carl Jung called it. Frees us from those ways of being that are, in the case of the one, often very rigid, very uh, rule-dominated, very forced. Um, And so we get an opportunity to learn the ways of love, to learn this. Matter of fact, it says at the end of Mark 11, um, uh, verse 28 and 30, it says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So where is it in your life that you're not experiencing freedom? Where is it you're not? Remember, he keeps saying to us, come as little children. Come as children. And there's a freeness in that. There's a lightness in that. There's a joy in that. Spontaneity in that. Um, And so, uh, so much of what the one offers me when I get to see the relationships and when I get to see the possibilities, uh, that's that's the gift of this, that I, I have a, a way and a, a place of growing into being my very um, best Juanita, my most expansive Juanita. And when I say best, um, so much of the thing about the rules for me, and I got to tell you this because this is part of my paradigm, <laughs> is... Um, that I was following the rules because I wanted to be accepted and approved of. Um, and I, I, I see that um, that had so much to do with the kind of image that I had been given of God as a child, um, a, a God who, uh, in learning to be, I talk about as being this God. Matter of fact, I think I mentioned some of it in um, 40 Days of Being a One, uh, this God who's a cross between Santa Claus and Judge Judy, and they can both mm-hmm. jack up your Christmas if you're not following the rules, jack up your life if you're not following the rules, you know? And so yeah. then come to realize, I, I had to come to say, who am I? Really, who am I? In the most expansive way. And then, who is God? And I had to take God out of the box that God was in, because a one makes God very much about this checking the list, checking it twice, making sure you're naughty or nice. And if you've been naughty, Judge Judy's got a room for you, a sale, right? And a sentence to be served and punishment to be uh, exacted. And that was so much about this rule following. It's about the fear of punishment. And so we have to begin to look at that narrative and ask ourselves some questions. Number one, is it true? What am I believing? Is it true? Is it really true? Who am I when I believe that thought? I'm rigid. I'm, I'm, I'm um, 
Uh, I get resentful because other people aren't following the rules. I, I get filled with anger. Uh, who, who do I become when I believe the rule, the, that I have to follow all the rules? Who do I become? And then lastly, the fourth question is, who would I be without that thought? The thought that if I don't follow the rules, I'll be punished. Who would I be without that thought? What about free? That's good. Uh, you, you've mentioned a few uh, during just our conversation, but what would be some healthy practices for people who uh, you know identify as a type one that help lead them to more of that freedom that you were talking about? Oh man, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. Um, one of them is letting go of trying harder. Letting go of that practice. Uh, in um, um, 40 Days and Being a One, one of the stories I tell is about um, I'd gone out of town, my husband and I, to visit our grandkids, and we were gone for a week. When I came back home, I always raised the blinds, let fresh air in, right? And so I raised the blind in our den, and there was a dead blue jay. And you could see where the beak had been beating against the window trying to get out, right? Mm-hmm. The blue jay kept trying harder to get out. But if the blue jay had just taken the time and breathed and could get settled and calm and centered in itself, it got in through the fireplace chimney. Perhaps if it had stopped trying harder to get through that window, it could have remembered that it had a compass system, a GPS built in it, and could have gone back out the same chimney it came in. Mm -hmm. And if we would let go of trying harder, we can find grace coming into our life, new ways of being coming into our life that help us to live our best lives, our most expansive life. Yeah. Talk to me about what that looked like for you, because I imagine that's very, like, I, I know that that's probably uh, tough for, for many different types, but I can just imagine for people who identify as the type one, like you still have that inner critic that is talked yes, about yeah. so much. Yeah. And it, that is telling you, hey, try harder or hey, you're not fill in the blank. If right. you don't do this thing, what did what did that look like for you of wrestling with that inner critic to going like, I'm, I'm going to let this go and I'm not going to try as hard. Yeah. It, it, it takes time, know that, because we, we've cultivated and developed these ways of being, and now we're telling our ego we're not doing it this way anymore, right? And so we have to, I think affirmations have been critical for me, and one of my affirmations, I turned it into a song, and it's to the tune of, yes, Jesus loves me. I love, accept, and approve myself, and I trust the process of life. I love, accept, and approve of myself. And I trust the process of life. Yes, I am safe. Yes, I am safe. Yes, I am safe. Well, the Bible tells me so. See, the other thing the rule followers are doing is trying to provide some security and some safety. And so I took affirmations. And whatever you say after you say, I am, comes looking for you. I am safe. I am happy. I am healthy. I am terrific. I am able to set healthy limits for myself. 
And so it takes practice. One of the things that, uh, that just as I was preparing for our conversation that I saw that you had mentioned in, uh, in 40 Days on Being One is you talk about ones carrying the weight of the world yes. with it. Talk to me about that. Oh, Lord, I am mercy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so one of the, the things that just zaps, up, zaps us of our energy is that ones are constantly judging. We're constantly judging what's good and what's right and what's um, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate and uh, what's automatically wrong. We are living in this very dualistic world of right, wrong, good, bad. And it's what I've come to realize. There are 9,999,000 shades of gray and there's still Jesus there. There's still God there. There's still grace there. And so for us, we're carrying the weight of the world because we are feeling as though our idol worship of rightness is the God that we're called to serve. And not until we recognize that the God of Jesus, the Jesus who said, come work with me, walk with me, let me teach you the unforced rhythms of grace, that he's inviting us to live into that life, not into this life of who's right and who's wrong, who's out and who's in, who's good and who's bad. Because what I've come to find out in my own life is that given the circumstances of many people's lives, and the choices that they've had to make, I can be bad too. Hmm. Yeah. Is is there anything else that helped you? Or I guess back up just a second for me. Um, talk to me about what that process went through of you discovering, like, hey, that that could be me too in their situation. And, and I, I talk about this in 40 Days of Being a One. Um, I, I found something called the compassion exercise. Mm-hmm. And the compassion exercise asks you to look at a person. And typically, it, it suggests you do it in an open place. So let's say you're in the mall or you're in a restaurant, uh, that you would look at someone that you would not necessarily honor. Yeah. Right? You see them and you would judge them. And so you would say, with your eyes on that person, now you're not staring them down in the restaurant, okay? But you would you would get their image in your, your consciousness and you would say, just like me, that person deserves compassion. Just like me, that person deserves to be heard. Just like me, that person deserves an opportunity. Just like me, that person deserves the ability to make choices. Just like me, that person deserves to know goodness. Just like me, that person deserves. And you just keep as many things as you can think of about yourself. You you employ, you you offer them out in the atmosphere of your own heart and mind. You offer that to that person so that you give them their humanity back. Sometimes as ones, we are very condemning. 
We're very critical um, and we can easily find ourselves filled with hatred and a lot of fear and scorn because we don't give people their humanity back. We judge them by one bad decision instead of giving them the capacity, giving them, uh, and, and it's not that we're giving that person, it's the construct of that person in our mind. Mm-hmm. We are liberating them the same way Jesus is longing to liberate us. And that takes practice. Um, the first time I had to practice this was a part of um, the forgiveness work I was doing when I found out that one of my daughters had been assaulted sexually by a relative. Mm-hmm. I've never known the desire to kill a person. But when I found out that my three-year-old daughter had been violated, I could kill. Mm -hmm. And it's also allowing ourselves, even as ones, to sit with that. That this is what Christ says, I've come. I've come for the people who recognize that they can kill people when someone they love has been violated. And so as a one, the first thing I felt was outrage. How could this rule have been broken, right? And so that invited me to do a lot of work around forgiveness, around what it means to, in the hardest of situations, right? Uh, We're not talking about forgiving the, the colleague at work who, you know, borrowed some stuff off your desk and didn't bring it back. Um, It's when we allow ourselves to do that hard work of forgiveness, the hard work of the compassion exercise, when we allow ourselves to do that hard work of looking at our own narratives, that we can begin to experience some transformation. One of the tools, and and I'm not saying this particular tool helped in that situation, but one that's been Mm -hmm. helpful to me is the practice of the examine. What gave me life today? And then being grateful for what gave me life. You know, I'm I'm grateful because Caleb um, sent me my favorite dark chocolate, you know, whatever. And you think, wow, I wasn't expecting that. That was so cool. Uh, And you, at the end of the night, you remember those things and you give God thanks. And then likewise, at the end of the night, you say, man, I can't believe John took my book and didn't bring it back. I need that book today, right? And you're angry and frustrated with John. And then you try to call John. You can't find John. And then you say, okay, that took a lot of energy for me. It took a lot of life for me. What can I do differently? Well, I can call John tomorrow and tell him, hey, can we meet for lunch and let me get that book for me? And then I can be grateful that I saw how much energy I put into being mad at John, to hating John, where I let my mind go in that scenario. And I give thanks for seeing it because only in awareness can transformation even be possible. And then I give God thanks and do more of the things that gave me, gave me life and less of the things that took life from me. Yeah. Uh, 
First of all, I just want to say I'm sorry that that happened to your daughter however many years ago. Thank you. Um, but one of the things that I want to ask, because I, I can imagine, you know, even for myself, I'm listening to this and for the person who's listening to this, like, what what helped you get to that place of forgiveness? A lot of work. Because you see, one of the things I realized is as I do, as the way I treat my neighbors, the way I treat myself. And if I couldn't forgive him, now that doesn't mean I forget. Yeah. But if I couldn't forgive him, then there was a, a whole lot of evidence about why I couldn't forgive myself. Hmm. Because I had allowed my daughter to spend the night at my sister and brother-in-law's house. And that would have imprisoned her and me in our ongoing relationship. And so I knew I had to do the work. I saw a therapist, I I did various practices, um, did some some meditations where I would see myself not harming him, Mm -hmm. right? Because I was was, um, very often seeing myself harm him. So as we do that work, Um, The work is doing some good in us, helping us to be more expansive. And I think if if there was one word that that really, to me, helps with a one. You see, we're holding all those tight margins, those tight rules, because we're trying to stay safe Mm -hmm. and because we want to know that we're approved and accepted. That we're that we're not inadequate, that we're we're enough, right? And so what happens is in those moments of brokenness, like that moment, that time for me, is grace comes in. And 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 the Spirit of God begins to minister to us to help us to know that that God is still present with us present for us as we wrestle with the why. As we wrestle. And to know that God would still be present for us if we had been that person who had committed that heinous violation. And so for me, a lot of growth has come out of that. A lot of uh, awareness about my own capacity to do evil, hmm. even though I, I, I am always longing to do good, that which is good, that which is loving, that which is kind. I was made very aware. I think awareness is a thing that helps ones um, mm-hmm. because otherwise we just keep relying on our rules so that we don't have to feel what we feel. Yeah. And we don't have to explore what we feel. Yeah. As we're kind of moving towards um, the end of our conversation, one one of the things I did want to ask you about uh, before that is for the person who, you know, is in relationship with a type one, you know, whether that's, you know, husband, wife, father, son, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, friend, anything Mm -hmm. like that. um, What are some things that unless you're a one, you probably don't know about Mm -hmm. ones? (laughs) 
Um, that we really want to be loved and to know we're loved. Um, that that ones need a place to tell their childhood story and uh, to, to have an opportunity to, um, as a listener, the beauty of uh, my husband and I and our marriage is that he knows me better than I know myself as a one. Mm. So get to know your one. And that means not just knowing them, but doing the reading about ones and what makes us tick. And then you know a one better than they know themselves. Not so that you can use it as a weapon against them, but so that you can use it as a tool of understanding. That when they're hard on you, they're harder on themselves. Um, and so when you can help us laugh about the absurdities of our rigidness, <laughs> you know, uh, you're helping us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you don't know it, you could take it personal, as my cousin did when he said I was so mean and so bossy, right? Um, mm -hmm. So know us, get to know us, get to know us better than we know ourselves. Mm -hmm. Are there any other practices that um, that you've either seen your husband do that really help you with that or that you've just seen other people who are in relationship with ones that you see, hey, this really tends to help with type one people? You know, I think one of the things is come from a place of love and, and don't hesitate um, if you really love a one to say, aren't you being a little hard? Um, and, and invite a one um, to play because often we, we gave up playing so that we could quickly become adults. And um, so invite them into moments of play and, 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 and adventure, if you will, and spontaneity, you know, um, invite them to live and be in the moment, pull out some bubbles and invite them to play blowing bubbles and play childhood games and uh, do funny things uh, because we, we, we contend to be so rigid that we don't know how to access that childlikeness that Jesus invites us to, to ask and to. Um, and, and, and I want to leave you with this uh, quote yeah. from the Dalai Lama who once said, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. And ones tend not to be very compassionate towards themselves. And so help ones engage in self-care. I'll give you a wonderful example. Um, I was going through a difficult time and a dear friend of mine called me one day and I was at home and she called to see if I was at home. She said, are you at home? She said, uh, I'm on my way over. And she came to my house and asked me to get in the car with her. And I did. And she drove me to the beach. Nature is a wonderful way uh, to help ones um, relax, to get into nature, to, to hear the waves to get out of the, the headiness because we tend to stay in our head. We tend not 
to tune into our feelings, but often getting in nature, seeing beauty, seeing art, doing creative things can help us to um, take the lighter road of life, that Mm -hmm. road that is Jesus's way of learning to live freely and lightly. Yeah. Uh, I got one final question that I want to ask, but before that, is there anything that we haven't talked about once that you would want to mention? You know, I guess that I would just say that, you know, this beautiful life that we've been given mm-hmm. doesn't come with instructions. I mean, we, we have the Bible, we have the word of God. Yeah. There's no instructions yeah. on this is how Caleb should take care of Caleb. And, and you yeah. know, you know that and you hang with it and Caleb lives happily ever after. And so be open and willing to receive love. Love is guidance, like the 40 Days on Being One and the other books in this series, because there's all nine of them are in the 40 Day series. Being open to new information. We are ever growing, green, becoming human beings. All right. So be compassionate with yourself. Yeah. Last question that I want to ask that I've been asking everybody um, on these on these type episodes is how are you different from learning about the Enneagram and doing the work to become more healthy? Oh my gosh. I'm telling you, freedom. Freedom mm. is the key word because yeah. I had boxed myself into these very narrow construct of what my life should look like, what my wardrobe should look like, what my house should look like, what my going and coming should look like, what my relationship should look like. And then you find out that, that, it was too tight. It's like having a vice on your head. And, and you keep, matter of fact, there's this great, I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's this wonderful YouTube video where this woman has a nail in her head, right? And she's got this nail, but she never wants to acknowledge that the nail is why her head is hurt and, and why her vision is messed up. What the Enneagram helps us to do is to not only recognize the nail, but to take the nail out and to know the freedom and the healing, and the wholeness, and the liberation, and the joy, and the fun that we get to experience when we allow ourselves to live into the wings and the gifts those wings have to offer us. Well, Juanita, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I know that people are going to want to pick up, you know, your your book, 40 Days uh, to Being a One, and also learning to be as well, and then just to follow you as well. So where's the best place for people to go to do those things? Thank you. They can go to Juanita Rasmus, J-U-A-N-I-T-A-R-A-S-M-U-S.com. And I'm Juanita Rasmus on all the social media platforms as well. And I just love to see them there. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. It's been a a true pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Caleb, thank you for having me. I think coming out of that conversation, one of the, uh, I kind of mentioned one of the the big things earlier in the, in the, in the resource of the week, but the importance of having fun. And I think the other thing that I learned, or one of the other things that I learned that really stood out to me from this is um, what Juanita talked about when we're hard on ourselves. And that the people who are hard on others tend to be even harder on themselves. And that when we're judgmental towards others, sometimes the reason might be because we're 
more judgmental towards ourselves. And that has helped give me greater empathy for other people. I think it's helped me start to change how I see other people and gain greater compassion for them. And it's also been uh, an indicator for me, or more of an indicator for me, is that if I'm being overly hard on others, it's often because, or it may be because, I'm holding myself to a standard that is maybe impossible to me, or in Juanita's uh, language, you know, I'm, I've, I've held myself to a rule that is impossible to me. And so I think that's one of the, been one of the biggest things for me is just paying attention to that, how I'm treating myself and how I'm treating myself affects how I treat other people. I think somebody said something about that, you know, to love your neighbor as you love yourself and that. And yeah, and I think that's just something that it doesn't get talked about a lot or maybe maybe as much as it needs to right now, but it is so true. And I think just kind of, you know, bringing the conversation full circle, learning to have fun and learning to rest well helps us love ourselves better. And in turn, it helps us love other people better as well. And so I would love to hear some some of the things that you learned from uh, my conversation with Juanita. And the best way to reach out to me is on Instagram, which is at Caleb J. Mason. Would love to hear from you some of the things that you took away from our conversation as well. And don't worry, the rest of the Enneagram types will be coming up and uh, over the next several months. And like I said earlier, if uh, if you've missed one, you can go back and listen. Or maybe you're like, man, I just really enjoyed it. You can go back and listen a second time. I have to do that with some podcasts as well. Also, uh, hit subscribe to the podcast. we got some great episodes coming up for you. Leave a rating and write a review. That would be really helpful. Also, and yeah, before I go, I just want to say a real quick thank you to Garrett Oler, who does the editing for the podcast, for Sam Massey, who's created the music for the podcast as well. And thank you again, Juanita, for being on the show. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the Learner's Corner podcast. So grateful for you. And I think that's all that I have for today. So until next time, keep learning and keep growing and have some fun today.